Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Sports Talk with Tonsoni. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni. Welcome to the Delphi Bracketology edition, where we will be talking news and information about NCAA basketball. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Sports Talk with Tonsoni. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni. Today we have Rocco Miller from the West Coast as our guest. But before we start our interview, I'd like to encourage all of you to look into Project 44 through Butler University. It's a project honoring Andrew Smith, the former Butler Bulldog Center who lost his life to leukemia. His wife, Samantha, and the good people at Butler are trying to get people to sign up uh, for bone marrow transplant registry in order to save lives. It's already saved the life of a young four-year-old who was in attendance of a Butler game a week or two ago. If you feel that you can do that, please look up Be The Match. Look up Project 44. We'd love to spread the news uh, to combat uh, leukemia. So with me today is Rocco Miller. We have a little bit of a technical change up here, so we're going to be talking to him on the phone. But we're glad to have him here uh, to talk a little bit about uh, bracketology, which we're all interested in here before uh, the tournament selection show in less than two weeks. Rocco how are you doing tonight? And would you please uh, share with our listeners a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Brian, I appreciate you having me on. Um, really enjoy the work that you guys are doing and everything that, uh, you know, all the energy you're putting into bracketology. It's been pretty inspirational the last couple of years following you guys and uh, just happy to be a part of the community of bracketology. Um, uh, so my name is Rocco Miller. I do bracketology for my own website, bracketeer.org. Um, the, the website is focused uh, primarily on bracketology, but I do some um, special content as well for conference tournaments and preseason tournaments in the beginning of the season. Um, I ended up getting into the business originally uh, six years ago, just uh, from being a lifelong college basketball nut, much like you and, and your group, um, and just having many, many disputes with uh, the guys that talk about the bracket or try to project the bracket on TV and uh, or just print media, and um, just decided, you know what, I put so much time studying this, I might as well just start doing it on my own and figuring it out from there. Um, so, you know, my, my main objective in doing it is just trying to put as much thought and evaluation uh, into my evaluation as I can. So I try to be careful to not release a bracket just for the sake of releasing a bracket. Um, I, I want to just make it clear and concise and be clear in my mind before I put something out there. So I take it seriously, and you know, maybe if uh, my dream comes true, I'll be on the real committee one day. <laughs> that would be nice because I think the committee and some of our uh, mainstream media need uh, some really good bracketologists like uh, like you on the show. Uh, so let's talk criteria here. Our job is to try to guess what the committee will do, and they state some criteria, and then there's a cloud. What do you use personally as you start putting together your seed list and your bracket? Uh, what's important to you uh, to, to do the best job? Yeah, uh, great question. So, you know, the, the, uh, the biggest chunk of the work, as you know, is trying to figure out who the 36 at-large teams are going to be. And so throughout the season, you're always assuming uh, whoever's in first place is, is going to be your projected champion in almost every uh, conference. Um, but what I'm looking at is the entire body of work. I'm, um, a lot of fans like to react to a to an upset loss or an upset win or or um, a hot streak or a cold streak. But what the committee is always focused on is the entire body of work and what you uh, who you've beaten, where you've beaten them is is essential. And then who you played. Um, so some of the key factors I look at when I'm trying to break ties 
are always, um, you know, what you accomplished in, in road games, um, who you beat, of course. Um, so I tried to break that up. Um, I know this year they've done a, a better job by getting the quadrant system in place with the one, two, three, and four and having um, away wins be more important than home wins um, based on a 75 equaling a home 30. Um, so I do like that. I think it's a step in the right direction. The fact that it's based on the RPI still leaves some flaws in my, in my, in my mind. So I'm really concentrating on the actual teams they beat. So I, uh, at this point in the season, what I do is I take a look at their record against anybody that I have in my at-large field, and then maybe I'll include the first two to four teams out as part of that column. And then I'll do their record against teams that are within the first two quadrants uh, or include a team that may be winning their uh, respective conference. For example, uh, like if you look at Washington, they they have wins over Belmont and uh, Montana. So if those teams actually win their conference tournaments um, in the next two weeks, uh, and that ends up being an extra tournament team on the resume, that is something talked about in the room. So I try to keep an eye on that as well. Um, but my main tiebreakers are, are typically non-conference strength of schedule, away record, and then basically chopping that quadrant one in half, and I what I call a super win, which is where, you know, if it's a, if it's a top 15 home win, a top 38 road win, or a top 25 neutral win, I'm calling those super wins. And if I'm trying to break ties and one team's got three of those and the other team has one or zero, it makes it a little bit more clear for me. You know, that's interesting because um, I did a – I, I sometimes I use spreadsheets all the time and our kids use spreadsheets to share back and forth. But yeah. sometimes I just write notes on paper side by side yeah. to get to get a look at it. And one of the things that we did today in seeds 23 through 40, which we'll talk to you specifically a little bit later, is a uh, number of teams wins against our bracket and number of teams against bubble teams are just outside the bracket. And, and that's telling because I think seeds 23 through 40 are relatively close give or two some losses. Okay. Let me ask you a question about losses. So a tier a tier three loss, a tier four loss, how does that play into your criteria? Our guys, we debate that back and forth, and, and sometimes I wonder if we give that too much emphasis or maybe not enough emphasis. Yeah, it, 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 it's a tricky situation because it can it can leave a bad taste in your mouth when you're looking at a resume like Houston's got the Drexel loss, as is always talked about. Um but, you know, what, what I always go back to is it's always about the full body work. And typically in the, in the past with the committee, uh, what, they've, what they've shown in, in the brackets they release is that good wins will outweigh bad losses if you have enough of them to outweigh the bad losses. So you got to look at the total picture. So you're always kind of looking. You can look at that Q2, Q3 column and combine all the wins and losses and try to come up with a number. And that's how I look at it. So, you know, for example, if you look at um, Louisville, you know, they – they are a team without a, a real bad loss in anything out of the top two quadrants, but in the top two quadrants, they're five and 10. And then even in the top three, um, you know, they're 12 and 10. So they've got some, a real risk there. Um, so I'm always kind of looking at everything from the big picture uh, at all times. And if they do have the, the wins to outweigh the bad losses, then they're, they're not as negatively impacted. But if you got a team like Nevada with a loss against San Francisco, you know, that can, that can really affect, you know, where they're placed. And we, and we don't know exactly what the committee will do with that. Uh, but I, I'd say more often than not, they'll get a lower seed, meaning like 9 to 11 range versus um, somewhere in the 5 to 8 range with, with that kind of loss and not enough wins to back it up. 
That's uh, that's great information right there. Let's let's start going right into our the seeds, uh, and we don't have to talk about all of them, but seeds one through four are somewhat solidified. We know teams that are probably going to be one through five seeds actually, and they may go up a, a seed or down a seed. But what teams right now in that top twenty are kind of difficult uh, right now, and, and maybe on the verge of dropping, uh, maybe on the verge of going up uh, in the top seed area. Yeah, there's a couple. I think the team I have the most trouble with is Rhode Island because Rhode Island's got really two wins against the field. They've got the, the win um, at a neutral court against Seton Hall and the home St. Bonaventure win. Um, and then they've got uh, – I'm sorry, they have the third one with the Providence win at home. So they've got three wins against the field. Uh, but you know, And they've got an amazing non-conference trip to schedule at number three. Um, but they only have six total quadrant two wins. And if eventually a team like Florida or a team like NC State gets a lot of wins in the next two weeks, you know, I don't, I don't know if Rhode Island's down to a six or down to a seven. Right now I've got them as one of my last number five. Um, I think they just have a lot of fluctuation, even if they do win the A-10 tournament. Um, of course, that will help their profile. I think also in the one through five, five seed area, Michigan State has been a big topic all season long. Um, I have a hard time with them as well because, um, you know, they, they have an outstanding road record. They're 8-1 and on the road, uh, but they've only got three wins in the first quadrant still. And, um, you know, th- their big wins are North Carolina and Purdue, but they weren't true road wins. Um, so uh, they're, they're only two, you know, significant road wins are against teams out of the field, Indiana and Wisconsin. So they're not as significant as beating, you know, a bubble team or somebody even as good as Nebraska. So... I have a hard time putting a team on the top two seed lines that haven't gone on the road and gotten a win like that. Now, if they go into the Big Ten tournament, I'm assuming they'll get a win over like a Purdue or Ohio State that should help at least get them to the two line. But I really don't see a path for them to get on the one line. Um, that's just my own take on them. Um, and then as far as my number one seeds, I, I struggled a little bit with Kansas because they have 18 wins in the top two quadrants, and that is just remarkable. Obviously, they get more opportunities than most. Um, but the teams that they've actually beaten, it, it's an incredible list of teams. You know, they've got uh, Texas Tech, TCU, West Virginia, Texas, Kansas State, uh, another West Virginia win, Texas A&M, another TCU win, Kentucky. So it's just the, their list is so powerful that I eventually just had to justify putting them ahead of Villanova, and I have Villanova down at the third number one. And then I struggled for a little while with Xavier, North Carolina. It really, to me, came down to um, Xavier not having any – losses out of the first quadrant and getting some really impressive wins on the road um, when, you know, they've, they've got road wins at Seton Hall, Creighton, and Butler. Those are all tough places to win. So I've got, and they've got the Cincinnati and Seton Hall neutral wins. So I've got Xavier um, just barely ahead for that last number four, but I can see the argument for Carolina. What, what's going to happen if Purdue is a two seed and Michigan State's a three seed? Do you see a scenario where that could happen? Yeah, I do. I mean, if, if Michigan State doesn't win the tournament, I think that will that will likely happen. Because right now, I think Purdue's resume is a little bit stronger. So, if it, I, I, the only way I really see it happening is if Michigan State either wins the tourney or gets to the final, and Purdue loses early, or they get to the same round and lose in the same round, um, it's going to go to Purdue. So, Michigan State, I think, has got to have a better, a much better showing to get above them. Let's let's move to the next question here. Um, a lot of people we hear lock teams in. We're at Delphi Bracketology. We're a little hesitant to do that, although 
we feel good about teams one through 20, maybe one through 22 uh, as being in the tournament. There's still two weeks left. Is there a cut line for you that, hey, these teams are in right now, can lose out? Uh, and if so, where is that? Or do you just stay away from that and just keep trying uh, each week to, to do your best in the bracket? <laughs> I'm a little bit more on the latter side, to be honest. So um, I'm, I'm a lot like you guys. I don't like to use the term log very often because, you know, we have no idea how many bids are going to get stolen in championship week. It could be zero, which, um, uh, you know, has happened in the last couple of years. It could be up to five. You know, we just don't know. So there's the cut line is going to be a a moving target until we get to the, you know, the last day. Um, there's that, and we've got the FBI story, so I, if for some reason you know, all of a sudden Arizona's ineligible, that changes things. Um, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, so just by and large, I'm, I'm like you, I don't like to use the long term. Uh, with that being said, I would say for now, I don't see anybody in the first 20 um, being um, in danger of, of losing a bit unless it is Arizona with the FBI thing or another team that hasn't been announced. Um, and then I, I would say beyond that, the only team I have above 20 that I can feel good about is Michigan because their season's over and they, you know, all they can do now is go out and lose that first game to Illinois or Iowa. And if they do that, I still think they probably have enough to get in. Um, but anybody else in there, they have enough schedule left where if you just imagine worst case scenario for all of them, they lose two games this week and then they lose their first game. Um, they have a very good chance to be out. So. Let me. Uh, I'm pretty much with you. We'll jump ahead of the script I gave you uh, because you brought it up. Um, obviously, if a team's declared ineligible because of the FBI, that they're no longer in a tournament. But that's. I think that's going to be hard to do in two weeks, and that's going to be hard to be right. fair in two weeks because we still are a country where you're innocent until proven guilty, uh, even though it, right. it it smells bad right now. But what about seating? It, will it affect seeding? Will Arizona and maybe another team? I know Miles Bridges got cleared today by the NCA supposedly uh, for his parents having a lunch. But if these things do come out in the next two weeks before Selection Sunday, does it? It shouldn't because it's body of work. But will teams, if without a coach or without this player, be dropped uh, a seed line or two? Yeah, great question. So you know, in Arizona's case, if, if they came out and suspended DeAndre Ayton for the rest of the year. That is actually a scenario because he's such an important player, an impact player for them. Um, that's a scenario where I think the committee could actually drop them a seed line, and it hasn't happened very often in history. I think the only time we really consider it or can prove that it happened was with Kenny Martin at Cincinnati back in the 90s. Um, so it's, it's very rare for them to be able to, for them to admit that that would happen. Um, and I don't think it happens as much as, as most fans think it does. I think it really is about the body of work. Um, the, I, the only way Arizona is going to be ineligible, like you said, and it's until proven guilty, is if they give themselves a self-imposed ban. And like you said, they, they don't probably have enough time to, to make that move. So we should be okay with the teams we're, we're projecting right now. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, I think I think they could actually move a line with, with uh, Aiton being uh, potentially suspended. Uh, that said, as long as he's in the lineup and everything is the way it is, even without Trier, I think they would stay on their true seed line. So, Where do you have them right uh, now? Right now I've got them number 20, and so the last five seeds. Yeah, we, we have them on the five seed as well. As you can see, I'm a Indiana fan here in Indiana, and then my second <laughs> team is Xavier, and I'm sporting the – I have a big uh, appreciation for Chris Mack, but – um, Eric Gordon's Eric Gordon's year when Samson got let go with four or five games. I wondered if the NCAA tournament dropped. IU ended up an eight seed, and they they had six or seven losses. 
So I wonder if that's yeah. similar to what might happen if Miller doesn't coach again. Um, that's the only that's the only thing I can remember. And I, I wasn't doing bracketology at the time. So, all right, let's get to this. And this this we could probably talk forever. The seed lines uh, six through nine, uh, maybe even oh. ten if you go. I, I did this morning. I had I had this chart of eighteen teams here uh, with similar things that what you said. I, I went with their best wins and marked where they were: tournament wins, bubble wins, uh, strength of schedule, and I even put in the metric average uh, just to see if the committee goes to a tiebreaker or teams are similar, what the difference is. Cause I know it's not a stated criteria, but it is on the team sheet. So, uh, and I look at that, I got, I was fine. I sent out, uh, we do Monday, Friday updates. I sent out our update and felt good about it. And then 30 minutes later, I looked at it and made changes already. Um, and then seventh period, our, our freshman guy, who's really into this, he came in and wanted to make more changes, uh, during his study hall. So, We've made like four changes since we sent out the update, and we have really big meetings coming up Wednesday and Thursday morning with all our students. Um, But talk about the complexity of the 23 through 40 and how it hasn't broke into nice, fine groupings like it has in in past years. Yeah, it it, it was a big struggle for me. I started doing my bracket last night. It got real late, and I decided to sleep at this point in in the process. Um, because it was just, uh, I was staring at it too long and I wasn't able to make clear decisions. Um, so I ended up waking up early and keep, uh, kept doing the exercise this morning. And what I found, um, you know, it, it, was, it, it still wasn't easy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at every column I can. Um, I know that you just mentioned the team sheet is, it, it has your strength of record average metric. Uh, and then of course the predictive metrics consolidated in a cumulative number. So I write that down too, and you can probably see here that I've got notes on every team and all the columns by hand, like you guys. Um, so it's it's uh, it, it's really hard uh, in this in this six through nine, six through ten range even to to break some of the ties. So you do have to start looking at the metrics, I think, to to break a few of them. Um, but what I ended up doing was uh, for the six seeds, um, I, I I I ended up putting Michigan number twenty one overall. And that was hard for me even because I'll do they have the, the, the wins at Michigan State and at Texas and, and the home win over Ohio State and UCLA. Um, I hate the fact that they have a 271 non-conference strength of schedule. Um, I, you know, it, it's, they, they, they have, they just don't have a lot of meat on the bone compared to teams from the SEC like Florida and Alabama and uh, Arkansas, Missouri. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, if those teams didn't have so many losses, I would easily have them above Michigan, for example. I, I think um, that's, so that's why. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I felt that way with Michigan all along. I wasn't impressed with their resume. And then they have four less losses than my last number six seed. And, and then I just got yeah. to, we got to be talking with our students. At what point do a large number of losses just has to matter? Um, right. and, and I don't know that it that's does. clear, but that's, I, we agree with you on Michigan there. Yeah, it, it's a struggle. So um, last year, the the first team ever with 15 losses got in, and that was Vanderbilt, and they put them in as a nine seed. I'm sure you remember. Um, and so that kind of opened up the gamut, I think, to include more teams with those types of records. I think we also had a team with 14 losses last year. I'd have to double check. Um, so for me, in the in, as long as they have, and again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning with the wind outweighing the losses. And I think in Florida's case. I think in Alabama's case, I think in Missouri's case, they do. 
Um, I think in LSU's case, it's a little bit more debatable. But, um, I, you know, so we just got to continue to see how it plays out at this point in the game. I think they're all tournament profile resumes. And um, and then if we're all at the point when you when you make that decision, OK, they are a tournament team. Once you start getting into seeding from there, the, the discussion is a little bit different. And what the committee has done recently is they've taken these teams like Florida, like Alabama, like Texas A&M even, and they've stacked them up against like the Michigans and the Florida States and, and the Nevadas. And they'll go with the team that has the more wins once they've decided, uh, you know, which, uh, which teams are actually in. So I tend to, you know, once I've decided that, I tend to have those teams on the 6, 7, 8 area just to um, go off recent history. Um, and then it makes it difficult to decide where to finally put Nevada in or where to put St. Mary's in, things like that. Um, so, so Florida. Probably have a- I'm What's sorry, that? Florida. Uh, I have Florida higher than I thought I would when I did a reset over the weekend. Um, they have they have a, a win on the neutral court of a team, RPI 11. They have an away 16 and away 26. Of their and they have you know I'm looking at top 30 wins. They have five top 30 wins, eight wins against our bracket. Uh, that that's pretty impressive. So you're saying that once the committee says vote them in, then they're just going to look at uh, wins, uh, and that puts a team like Florida. It puts a team like Texas A&M higher than people would think. And I'm telling you, it's a team like Oklahoma higher. What do you think of Oklahoma? Yeah. Yeah, same, same boat. I, I just think the problem with Oklahoma is they have a 2-8 and eight, um, away record. So I think that does give them a little bit of a black eye compared to Florida, who has a 4-4 four and four road record. Um, but Oklahoma still did uh, decently well when they went uh, to the neutral court in Portland uh, for the Phil Knight tournament. So um, I, I think Oklahoma's at my, they're my top nine seed right now. Um, I've got Florida in the sixth range. I don't know where you got. Where do you guys have Florida? We have Florida as a six. We have Oklahoma as the last six, and don't feel good about it. Oh wow! Um, okay, just, well, just you, can, you can convince me on that. That's, it, that's okay. You know, seven wins against the tournament, one one out, or one bubble team, and a um, a win at home against six, a win away against thirteen, a win at home and away against nineteen, and another home win against twenty. That's five top twenty wins RPI. And the body of work, we're really trying to focus in on that. And it's hard when you lose seven in a row and you got the best player in the world, according to ESPN. And, you know, you I think people are having a backlash because he got all of that um, conversation. Um, if, but if they win two this week and win their first tournament team, uh, tournament game, you know, I don't know if they deserve that high. Um, but um, then we looked at Alabama and of all of their wins, they were at home. They're top 30, you know, they have five wins in a top 34. They're all at home versus Oklahoma has some on the road. So we kind of looked at that and put Alabama yeah. below Oklahoma. Don't know if that's right, but that's uh, just kind of uh, what we did. Yeah, exactly. So I was kind of in a similar position as you guys at the start of the weekend. And um, because Alabama has a road win at Florida and because Florida, I'm calling a six seed, that actually helped them. Um, look a little bit better just because they had a little bit stronger road win to go along with the LSU road win. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do have the really impressive home wins with Auburn, Rhode Island, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, all at home. Um, but I can see what you're saying. The body of work, the majority of the weight is on the home side. But they do have a couple of road wins to supplement. And if we call Florida a 60, that makes it a little bit stronger. Right. Uh, but I had, Al- I had Alabama safely in as an eight seed. Um, 
And so, they're, they're, I mean, I'd still rather take them than a team like Miami or a team like um, Providence, for example. So I, I agree. We had um, we had Alabama ahead of Miami, uh, TCU, even Seton Hall, Providence, uh, that okay. that group uh, a little bit, and and that Big East. Those four Big East teams are hard for us as well. What are your thoughts on those um, <laughs> those Big East ones? You know, Providence, Seton Hall, Butler, Creighton are all bunched together too, depending on how you look at it. Absolutely. So Creighton was the one that was killing me last week. I, I kept dropping them, and then I was looking at other brackets, and there I was seeing a lot of six and seven still for Creighton, and I had them at the 10 last week. Um, but, of course, they got a huge win over Nova uh, over the weekend. They're a great home team. Um, they're not as strong without the big man anymore as a, as a team, but Marcus Foster is an incredible player of in the NBA one day. Um, so right now I've got Creighton back up to a nine. Uh, but, like, overall their body of work I'm not super mm-hmm. impressed with. I don't like the 244 non-conference strength of schedule. Um, they, they've only got – they have a losing record against the top two quadrants. Um, their metrics are nice. So they're kind of all over the map for me. And I would, if I'm debating between them or an Alabama, for example, or a Texas A&M, I'm going to take the SEC teams mm-hmm. uh, right, the way it stands today. Um, and then, you know, Butler, uh, I noticed this morning a lot of people had them six and seven range. I've got them as a 10 seed. Um, and, and the main reason is that they don't have a road win against the tournament. And mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the, uh, the existing field, for me, they're four and eight against the existing field. Um, if you include the teams that are on the – um, outside looking in, but still has a chance to get in at large, and then maybe even some of those conference tournament winners um, in their mid-major leagues. Their total record still under 500 at seven and nine. Um, you know they're three and eight against Quadrant One, so there's just a lot of things not to like about Butler, except for they do have a nice metric. So if the committee does talk about metrics more than I expect them to, I, I, I honestly think they're just going to use them for tiebreakers, yeah, uh, more or less. I we have Butler. I think we have Butler as the last eight or the first nine. Uh, we went back okay. and forth a little bit, but but we see you there with that. We, we at one point we had all of those Big East teams on the nine line um, this morning, um, and I think we I, I don't have it up here because I have our script up, but um, we might have moved one down. Another a couple teams that are also giving us trouble: Arizona State and Virginia Tech. Um, good wins, um, um, and then Virginia Tech's losing right now by 12 to Duke uh, and losing a, a chance to get another win. Any thoughts about those two teams? Yeah, so Virginia Tech, I, I still like their profile, um, mainly because they've got that linchpin in being the number one team on the road, which, you know, Virginia's only lost two games all year. And if you're the only team that beat them on their home court, I think that carries a lot of weight. Um, although it is just one game and we are talking about body work, so I don't mean to um, – <laughs> <laughs> be hypocritical, but um, they do have the, the backup with, with North Carolina, Clemson, NC State wins, and uh, Washington's very close to the cut line, so that, that neutral win still helps a little bit. Um, you know, for, for me, one thing I would like to point out, I pointed out on a couple other shows this year, um, since 2006, the uh, NCAA committee has not taken a team um, seated 10th or higher with a non-conference strength of schedule 250 plus. So that puts teams like Kansas State, Virginia Tech, NC State, and serious jeopardy if they can't get up to the nine line. Um, what that tells me is that if they're anywhere near the cut line, they're going to take a team at least inside that 250. It could be coincidence, but at over 11-year study, I, I feel pretty confident that 
they need to be safely in. But I think they have enough meat on the bone, especially, like I said, with that Virginia win, to, to be a nine seed right now. So I, I have them right below Oklahoma at number 34 on the seed list. And then, I'm sorry, you, 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 had, a, you had said another team, Arizona State. Okay, yep. so Arizona State, um, this is getting tricky because I'm, I'm a West Coast guy. I watched this team play a lot this year. They're, they're a different team than they were in the beginning of the year. Um, but as a bracketologist, as we've discussed, they got to look at the body of work. And um, it's still favorable against a lot of the other bubble teams um, with the KU and Xavier wins. It's still two wins against um, top number one seeds. And then you're looking at a K-State uh, neutral win, which is nice, and then a couple home wins against the L.A. schools. Um, so it's, it's, it's a trick. They're a tricky one if they keep losing the way they are. I mean, they, if they lost at home to Cal this week, it would be really hard to keep them in. <laughs> which I wouldn't, you know, I, I, it would be a pretty huge upset. But the, the way they're playing, I mean, they could they could get beat. They, they, they could definitely get beat in the Stanford game this week. Um, so it, it's to be determined. I wouldn't pick them very far in your bracket, no matter where they end up. Uh, <laughs> Tips to our but, listeners uh, when you fill out your bracket pool from Rocco. Don't pick ASU go. to advance. We have North Carolina uh, State moving up um, quite a bit. And, again, that st- strength of schedule scares us to move them up too high yep. and they have some losses um in tier three uh, again i don't have the team sheet here but i think um uh, one of them was to a conference winner though or a conference leader right now in north carolina greensboro yep. i believe um, yep. but you know their wins are outstanding one four five ten seventeen and and if if we put them in the tournament and then we look at wins that that's a solid um you know, that, that's a solid resume. So they moved up a, a little bit faster than what we thought. So this is just uh, for our listeners an example of how difficult it is. Uh, you have people who look at this all the time. I'm, I'm supposed to be teaching, and I kind of look at it quite a bit during the day too, um, that that a lot of good opinions from good people who look at the same data and look at it a little differently, and we'll find out uh, later. Let's talk, um, let's talk some bubble teams. Um, there's a lot of them. The bubble seems to me to be stronger this year in the fact that there are a lot more teams, and not really great teams, or they wouldn't be on the bubble, but at least um, teams with three or four quadrant one wins or, or something that you could really hang your hat on, a, a lot of people on the bubble. So your thought, uh, maybe a team or two uh, that's either in, that's in jeopardy, or out that might make it in before Selection Sunday. Yeah, so uh, it, for me, the last five teams that I have in right now, are, are definitely in jeopardy. I mean, they're, they're, they're hanging on by a thread or barely just snuck in over the last week. So, um, I, for me, I'm looking at five open spots. I, I still think St. Mary's needs a, um, a major collapse again to be out. Um, and I think they drew, uh, yeah, they would have to lose that, that first game of the tournament. They get the winner of the 7 10 game. So, uh, you know, they just can't lose to Loyola Marymount or Pepperdine. Um, and why, why is that? Because they only have one win. You know, if you if you just look yeah. at wins, I mean, the record is great, but why why does St. Mary's in? Yeah, so in my opinion, I I think they're in because they have their one win is a road win against a protected seed for me, which is Gonzaga, and that's a place one of the toughest places in the country to get a win, and they did it. And um, you know, they don't get very many opportunities, as we know. So if if you look at the field, they only got two chances at it, and they went one and one in those games. The other one was the home loss to Gonzaga. Uh, then if you if you throw in New Mexico State and Asheville, those are two teams that are winning their league. That gives them three wins against the field as long as those teams win their tournaments. Um, but the other thing is that they're like they're um, the, the, you know the metrics are top forty 
Um, and, and they have 15 wins against the top three quadrants, which is the majority of their games. They did lose two of those games in quadrant three. Um, I can understand the argument on why people would maybe have a, a case to not have them in. But for me, when you look at uh, this part of the, um, the seed list, there, there's you can't really find a win better than at Gonzaga, and it's it's just a team that doesn't get any other chances. Um, so I think they earned their right by by winning that game. And they're, I mean, you watch them play; they're a good team. I've covered four of their games this year, um, so you know I, you guys could be right if you have them out. I wouldn't uh, be 100 percent shocked. Uh, we, but for me, I think they're. I, we had we had them out, and then we put them back in, and and I want to see Landau in in the tournament as a coach and as a fan, yeah. I think there should be four spots reserved for teams that don't have quite the opportunities just to make sure we don't lose out on a St. Mary's or, um, you know, if we have 32 automatic qualifiers, 32 at large. And then uh, if you're not in a power six, you, you have to go through the selection process. So it's like we're doing. Uh, but you know, there's some good teams, Boise state, Western Kentucky, uh, if no, if Nevada should lose early in their tournament and it hurts their resume, they should they should still be in. Um, I'd much rather see a six eleven game uh, with a a, a, a mid major, if you will, uh, playing against a six than maybe the ninth team from a, a conference. And that's just me as a fan, not a bracketologist. So uh, some other teams uh, to be looking at uh, on or out of the bubble. Yeah, so my last five in, I was getting to that. It was um, St. Bonaventure, USC, Texas, LSU, and Washington. Uh, LSU and Washington are, are just uh, gut feeling based on uh, the wins that they have. Uh, it stands out above teams like UCLA, Louisville, Mississippi State, and Baylor, uh, who are my first four out. Uh, but I, you know, I could go back and forth between those six teams for the last two spots and make a case for any of them. Um, I'm, I really need like these last two weeks to, to help clear that up if possible. Last year was the first year um, that I've been doing this that I actually felt confident about the 68 teams that I put in. and It was the first time I got all 68, uh, but I, I noticed a lot of people did. So um, this year is definitely going to – I think we're going to have a lot of differences in the different bracketologists out there. There's just not, a lot, not enough time left to, to shake it out. Um, I did choose LSU and Washington because LSU – um, they have six key wins. They've done a, three of them away from home with, you know, if we're calling Michigan a six seed and we're calling A&M a seven and Arkansas, I have an eight. Um, that's three wins against the teams wearing white um, on the road. So that's pretty solid. And then they've got the Houston, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Mizzou wins all at home. Now, of, of course, we can get into their losses. And they've got the, you know, Stephen F. Austin at home is a bad one in Q3. Uh, they've, they haven't played that well in the Southland Conference like we thought, so that is a bad loss. And then they've got a couple inside the SEC to the bottom um, that are concerns. And they, they also have the concern of having 12 total losses. So um, And they took another one against Georgia on Saturday. So I'm, I'm really just leveraging that key wins because the committee always says, okay, so who did you play, where did you play them, and where, you know, where did you get your wins uh, at the moment? So... That is that is kind of a reoccurring theme. I'm always going back to, and then of course looking at the strength of schedule. Um, I, I I just can't in my right mind put Mississippi State into that bubble position at, with a 309 non-conference strength of schedule. Um, so that kind of knocks them off. And and then if you look at the rest, um, you know Washington's got the wins against Kansas, Arizona, Arizona State, and USC. Kansas, USC are both looked at as road wins in the uh, on the team sheet. So um, again, 
we're splitting hairs, but we have to we have to take thirty six. And uh, it would have been easier if we had the old format and for this year. Yeah. Now you, you lead to the last question: Is there's always a surprise team? Two years ago, when we were fortunate enough with our students and our bracketology to come out on top, uh, we missed two teams, and the two teams were Syracuse and Tulsa. Tulsa is what I call oh, yeah. a surprise team that no one uh, in the lead up was really talking about. When you go back at it, you could kind of see what you're saying about they had some numbers of wins compared to the teams. Uh, we had Monmouth in and and they had more wins than Monmouth and we we missed that. So uh, I've been telling our, our guys to look uh, beneath that first four out, first five out, see if there's someone yeah. lurking that if they have a good last week and a good run in the tournament, might just jump up and let's keep our eye on them. Is there anyone that um, might meet that criteria for you? Yes, uh, I would say Oklahoma State, uh, because Oklahoma State's got two incredible road wins already against Kansas and West Virginia. Uh, They obviously haven't had a great year, and their RPI is down in the dumps. So they got to go on a run to get that RPI number up. Um, I know Syracuse broke broke the record, I think, a couple of years ago with the RPI of, uh, what, 77? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were the, the lowest ever to get in with an at-large of 77. I think Oklahoma State's 102 right now. Um, but you can sky if, if you track the RPI every week, you'll notice when teams pull off a couple of huge wins, they'll go up 20 to 25 spots, especially when they're down near 100. Um, so they can get up into the range where selection's possible. And then if they're in the into that range and you start comparing them against some of these others, they're, they're going to have better wins. So that's a team I'd keep my eye on in case they can make a run. Um, and then a lot of people aren't high on Georgia. I've been higher on them. I've put them in a few times over the last month. Uh, but they shoot themselves in the foot every time I do. Um, again, of course, they come back and beat LSU last week. So they, they've got a nice little pile of wins. And if they pick up two, three, maybe four more uh, throughout the SEC, um, they could break some ties with that. That's that's just really good stuff. Last question, impact of conference tournaments. Uh, our group, I think, has done a poor job in letting them be too much of an influence uh, right up to Saturday and Sunday of Selection Sunday. Um, it is a body of work, and by that time, um, the, the body of work is almost set short of a couple teams maybe getting in. And so we went into this year thinking that the conference tournaments were more important for Selection. Those teams on the bubble maybe getting one or two more wins to get in versus seeding, um, but with the confusion on the bubble and the 23 through 60, I'm also thinking that there might be a difference between a seed line or two maybe on who gets to a championship or who loses early. What are your thoughts on the conference tournament? More seeding or more selection important? Yeah, uh, in recent history, it's uh, it hasn't been as important as it was yeah, in the early 2010s and the late um, 2000s, where it did have a dramatic impact. So I remember in 2005, I, I went to University of Washington, and um, going into the uh, conference tournament, Washington, I think, was like the last number two seed, and nobody gave them a shot at getting the one, but they ended up going on a run and beating Arizona in the final, who was a projected one seed at the time, and skyrocketed past five teams to get a one seed. Um, and so that kind of thing was happening more often during those seasons, I remember. Um, but now, in the last couple of years, it's really just, especially the ones that end on Sunday, um, it's really been kind of insignificant, like, basically like they didn't even play the game. Uh, I remember Michigan last year went on an incredible run to win the Big Ten tournament, and they still got, a, I think it was a seven or maybe it was an eight. Right. Uh, 
And it was really disappointing because I, you know, I'm like you guys. I would, I would prefer that these games mean more because, hey, they're on a neutral court. Uh, when they go to the tournament, they're going to be on a neutral court. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a great final interview, if you will, um, in my, in my book. Um, but unfortunately, the last couple of years, they haven't put as much weight on it. I think this year's Big Ten tournament will have a big impact because it's early and they'll have enough time to digest those games. And, and look at the final picture of the Big Ten teams. Uh, and then, you know, we'll have Missouri Valley and some others, but they're not really in the bubble conversation. So for everybody else, I don't think it will be as significant as we would like it to be. However, the teams are so close, as you, as you said, 23 to 60, um, that I can't help but think it's going to make a little bit of difference, uh, more so than the last couple of years. So I, I'll, go, I'll go with a hybrid. I don't think it's going to make as big of an impact as we want it to. Uh, but it, I think it'll be a little bit better than the last couple of years just based on how close these teams are today. Well, Rocco, thank you for your time. And I, I really appreciate uh, the, it's been an interesting uh, four years for us and our students uh, to find um, how many people really like to talk and share information in the, in the bracketology world. And it might not be up there in the most important things in the, in the world, but for us, it's a big deal. And I, I can't thank you enough. I, I have my, students listen to this to gain some insight and and to learn a little bit uh, about uh, analyzing data and and learning to love basketball so uh, I appreciate your time any final thoughts about uh, this year's bracket yeah I think my final thoughts would be in, in, and again Brian I really appreciate you having me on I, I love being part of the bracketology community and, and college basketball in general so I'm happy to come on anytime you guys want um, and my final thoughts would be uh, you know, this is always one of my favorite subjects every year around this time is is the potential bid teams that could be out there. Um, I'm always kind of rooting for it because it helps me get more clarity on the bubble. <laughs> if, some, if just a couple teams steal bids. <laughs> so I'm looking at Conference USA as a, a big potential. You know, Middle Tennessee the best team, but Old Dominion, Marshall, um, even North Texas and UTSA are teams to watch since the tournament's in Frisco, Texas. Um, it, it, you know, that, that's a definite tournament to follow. The Pac-12 is crazy right now with the Arizona fallout and, and um, Arizona State not playing well. Stanford's actually playing incredibly well. And Oregon's heating up. Those are two teams off the radar right now that could actually steal that bid. Um, in fact, I think Oregon's got a decent track to get a bye in that tournament. So definitely keep your eye on that. I think Nebraska, with them getting a double bye in the Big Ten, if they shock Michigan State in their um, semifinal game, they're in prime position to get that bid and end all the at-large arguing. And then in the Atlantic 10, I think we've got Davidson um, as a potential sleeper to, to steal the A-10 bid just because they're so efficient with the assisted turnover and they depend on the three. If they get hot shooting threes for two nights in a row, they can knock off the Bonnies or URI. Um, so those are just a few. There's a, a bunch more to follow. Track every tournament. It's... Um, I would argue conference, uh, championship week is just as exciting as March Madness. So um, I can't wait for um, to turn on the A-Sun tournament when I get off the call. <laughs> well, absolutely. Thank you very much. And, and it's is it Rocco Miller 8 on Twitter? Yes, it is. Thank you. So uh, go give Rocco a follow. Excellent information. You can find us at Delphi Brackets. You can find this podcast at uh, Sports Tons. Um, Give us a follow. Let us know what you like. And we really appreciate Rocco and his time. And so I'm Brian Tonsoni for Rocco Miller. We say goodnight. Happy hoops watching. Enjoy the tournament. 